Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. I'm your host, Raed Wake, chairman of the Respiratory Institute at Cleveland Clinic. This podcast of short, digestible episodes is intended for patients and their families and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timeless and timely topics in the areas of lung disease, severe critical illness, allergy, sleep, and infectious disease. Our goal is to help you stay informed in order to take better care of yourself and your loved ones. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of Respiratory Inspirations. I'm your host, Raid Wake, the chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. My guest today is Dr. Marie Boudav, who is the director of the Lung Transplant Program at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Boudav. Thank you, Dr. Dwight, and welcome to our audience. So uh, lung transplant is a wide topic, and uh, I'm hoping today that uh, with your expertise as somebody who runs one of the largest lung transplant programs in the country, to kind of share with our patients and families what lung transplant is about. And let's start with the basics. You know, who and why would somebody need a lung transplant in the first place? Great question. It seems so easy to take lungs out and just put new lungs in, and we really need to have a reason why those lungs need to be replaced. So there are many diseases by which that qualify for transplant. And the most common disease in the United States by which we transplant for is called pulmonary fibrosis or scarring of the lung. This has to be extensive enough that patients cannot function or have a good quality of life when they're on oxygen. Other diseases include emphysema or COPD, which is a smoking-related disease, and many other diseases such as cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic disease, sarcoidosis or pulmonary hypertension, or some of the other diseases that we transplant for. As a patient, you know, when would I, or a family member, let's say my family member is getting sick, I can tell they are on oxygen, they are not getting any better. When is the right time to ask their physician to refer me to lung transplant? Is there a sign or something I should look for or how would I know? You know, this is a tough question. It's hard for physicians also to know when to refer a patient. I would encourage all of you out there, if you're worried about a family member or a loved one or yourself, this is the time to ask. Go ahead and ask your physician. There are many resources also available. I would encourage many of you to come to our CC or visit our CCF website and put in transplantation. It'll take you to our transplant center website, which has every single organ that you can transplant for listed, as well as information on every single transplant type. So if you want to know about lung transplant, you can actually go to that website and be able to get more information on when to refer a patient, when is the right time for a patient to be thinking about referral. And I'll also encourage many of you, if you know what your loved one's disease is or your disease, go to the foundation websites like the IPF Foundation or the PH Foundation because there will be a lot of information within those websites that will direct you towards when to time uh, calling a transplant center or making that recommendation to your provider so they can refer you. So if I'm a patient, can I refer myself or can a family member refer or do you need me to go through my physician to get the referral? So as a family member or a person that needs a transplant, you can absolutely refer yourself anytime. And if you have questions about that referral and you're not sure, when you call us to refer yourself, we can actually jump in as physicians and coordinators and help guide you through the understanding of when to be referred and what to expect at your first visit. So let's say either I self-referred or my physician referred me to you. As a patient, what 
would I expect uh, when I first meet you for lung transplant evaluation? When a patient first meets us for the lung transplant evaluation, it is a long day. It's actually about two or three days. I encourage anybody that comes in for a referral to bring a loved one with them. You know, four years are much better than just two, and we all hear things differently. So the more people that you have there, it's important. Also, asking your provider or your transplant doctor if you can record the call or take notes will be important. We'll be providing you with a lot of information, both verbally, written. You'll get two big binders, both for your loved ones and for yourself, and you'll be getting a lot of information that will be online. So we will try to educate you about transplantation over those three days, but again, it's a lot of information. You will go through a significant amount of testing initially so we can see where you fit in in the timeline of transplantation and when it will be appropriate to list you. Do not expect to come to be listed the first visit. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of things that you'll need to know about, both from the financial and medical standpoint and the social work support standpoint. So there'll be a lot of information and questions for you. But it is exhausting. It is a long evaluation, and we try to do everything we can to not overload you with information. But again, you can ask questions even after the visit. You will have contact information for you both by phone and email that you can contact us to go over any questions that you may have. Are there any reasons uh, that I know I will not be considered for transplant, like other barriers, other diseases or age or anything, any barriers that there's no point in even thinking about lung transplant? There are some absolute contraindications that we say are limits or barriers to getting a transplant or being on a list, and one of them is active use of substances such as heroin, oxycodone, any of these narcotics. In addition, if you're actively smoking or using a nicotine-containing substance, you could not be considered for listing for transplant. And I think one thing is important to understand, it's not just a patient going through the transplant, their family will go through the transplant as well. So adequate social support will be necessary. The financial part is usually taken care of through insurance, but there is a portion of the finances we ask patients to actually be responsible for. So there will be some financial commitment. But I think more importantly is to know that you need to be compliant with a very strict medical regimen. That means about 12 to 15 drugs a day that you'll have to take. It may involve coming back to the hospital for certain illnesses. You also have to be very compliant with your appointments and coming back for these checkups after your transplant. Just because you got the lungs doesn't mean you're going to be fine forever. Like a car, this will need regular maintenance and you have to be there for these visits. And some of these will include getting blood work at home every few weeks. Again, it's very important to know that this is very much more complex than getting a knee surgery or an appendix taken out. This is a lifelong commitment and process. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I know sometimes people think they get a new set of lungs, they can go and do whatever they want now, and the follow-up is critical. It's really a medical condition that needs to be managed and paid attention to. Absolutely. We have patients that we transplant from all over the world. And just to share with the audience, we have patients from the Middle East that come back every three months to be seen from the West Coast. We, in fact, had one patient who had some issues with his airway and needed a procedure called a bronchoscopy. Every month, this is a procedure by which they look at the airways to make sure things are healing. And every month, he flew back and forth between California and, and Cleveland. And it was a big commitment, but he did fantastic. And 
again, this commitment is not for everyone, but we want to try to make it work for each one of our patients. So it's uh, fair to say that it's a great gift to get a, an organ, but it's also a responsibility to make sure that uh, it works well for you and uh, you are a good steward of that resource. Is that fair to That's say? That's an excellent way to put it. Yeah. Then uh, I've heard uh, patients sometimes talk to me about whether they get one lung or two lungs. Is that a patient choice or is that a physician choice or how you decide who gets one or two lungs? That's a great question. The decision is made based on certain aspects. One is age. That plays into it. The older you are, we want to limit the amount of time of surgery, anesthesia, and we want a quick recovery. So many times in an older patient, meaning someone over 65, we'll consider a single lung if it's allowed, if we can do it. But if you've got infections in both lungs, you're going to need two lungs because you don't want infection in one lung to spread to another new lung. And then lastly, if you have a condition called pulmonary hypertension or where the pressures in the heart are impacted by the disease that's going on in the lungs, you will need two lungs. So it depends on age. It depends on diagnosis. That means the reason why we're transplanting you. Other factors that may impact this is the presence of pulmonary hypertension, as I spoke about before. And the last thing, what your antibodies are. And these aren't like COVID antibodies. These are antibodies that help me avoid certain issues in donors that are out there and how we match you with the donor. If it's harder to find you a donor, we may have to do only a single lung. But this is something that comes into play as we discuss with you when you come in, whether you need one lung and you could get by with one lung or you need two lungs no matter what. But you can have one lung and function in life and have a great quality of life. I want to assure you, all of you out there, you could be off of oxygen, you could be running around doing what you want with one lung. It's amazing how we have a lot of reserve, you know, in all our organs, lungs, kidneys, uh, liver, heart. We have a lot of reserve that, that we can survive off. So thank you for clarifying that. So the other uh, question I get asked sometimes by my patients, Marie, is how long are we going to live after getting a lung transplant? Is it like new life? Uh, is it like I'm going to be live longer with or without a transplant? Or does the, the odometer get like, you know, set back to zero? How does it work? That's a great question. I think what I get asked most often is, you know, am I going to live for a longer time, like 20, 30 years? I want to make one point clear. Lung transplant and lung transplants are much different than the abdominal organs. I think many of you out there are more familiar with kidney transplants and liver transplants where people can live for 10, 20 years without a problem. Lung transplantations, because the lungs are always in contact with the air and with the environment, they actually have a shorter life. And when we're talking about a shorter life, we're talking about seven years in average for most patients. And this is for all comers. This is irrespective of your age, underlying diagnosis, and other medical problems that you may have. In some patients that are older, your lifespan may be even shorter. It may be more around three to four years after a transplant. So that needs to be taken into account. This is something that, this is a discussion that we have together. And every patient is different. I've had patients come in and see me and say, hey, that sounds great because right now with the way I feel and the oxygen that I'm using and the fact that I can't even go visit my grandkids and that taking a shower takes up my entire day and thinking about it, for those patients, those seven years or even four years are a lifetime. But for a patient that's on minimal oxygen is still getting around and very functional, seven years may be a very limiting time. 
So this is a very individual decision and something that you have to really think about and say, hey, listen, you know, this is hard for me right now, the way my life is. And maybe a transplant would make my life a lot easier and my quality of life easier, exchanging for the fact that I am going to be on a lot of medicines and there's no guarantee that I would have the average seven-year survival. So it sounds like you're trying to combine the uh, expected survival with the underlying disease, the expected survival of the transplant, and the functional state with or without a transplant. You take all these into consideration in your discussion, it sounds like. Yeah, it's a very complicated discussion, and that's why it takes a little while before we place a patient on the list, because one, we want to make sure that you understand what you're facing. And if you're someone that can't tolerate or can't deal with the unexpected, Transplantation may not be the appropriate intervention for you. It's always important to know that it will be a dynamic process. Things will happen. You're immunosuppressed and other complications can happen. There's no guarantee for those seven years. What we try to guarantee you is a better quality of life. When we hear about going on the lung transplant list, and is there a way to improve my chances of getting a lung? And how, how can I do that as a patient or as a family member? How can I find the best way to get my family member at the top of the list of the transplant? Well, I think what we should say is how do we get our family members to live the longest afterwards after a transplant? And the way to do this is really simple, simple things. Don't smoke, stay healthy, have a healthy diet, exercise, exercise, exercise. We know it's hard to breathe, but pulmonary rehabilitation is the most important thing that you could do to get on a transplant list and stay on a list and to stay well enough that you make it through the transplant and out of the hospital. So those sort of simple life changes and life sort of lessons of staying active, eating healthy, getting enough sleep, not getting infected, these are the important things and educating yourself. I can't stress enough how important it is Learn as much as you can about transplantation before you even walk in the door, and we'll keep teaching you. But one of the best ways to learn about transplant is not just the Internet, but it's actually by calling us. So we can go over things with you one-on-one, even over the phone. And the other way is to talk to other transplant patients. And we have a whole group of ambassadors or other transplant patients that have been through the process with their caretakers that would love to speak to you. So if this is something that you're contemplating, you've seen a little bit on the Internet, you're not really sure, your referring doctor didn't have too much information, and even before you come in you want to talk to someone, give me a call or email me. I'll make sure you talk to a couple of our patients. I'll let you talk to people that have had an easy course, someone that's had a little bit more complicated course, and someone that's maybe had a real complication, so that you get the full gamut and spectrum of what transplantation looks like from every different angle. But it's coming from a patient angle, which is most important. I can talk about transplant like I am on this podcast, but it means much more when a patient tells you about what their experience was like. Yeah, talking about patient experience, we uh, we've heard from you that it takes sometimes several weeks or months to do an evaluation for lung transplant. You could be on the list for you know weeks or months. Let's say you get the lung transplant. How long is a patient expected to be in the hospital? When, how long would they get out of the hospital after a transplant? That's a great question. I think most patients really want to know this. So usually the operation itself for two lungs lasts about eight hours. For one lung, it can be about four hours. Once you come out, you go to an ICU. You stay there for about two days. And this is a case where everything has gone well. After two days, you go up to a regular nursing floor. And this is called a step down. 
And this is where you learn about your medicines, your lifestyle, things that you have to change. And then afterwards, once we know that you have adapted to the transplant well, your kidneys are working, liver's working, there's no rejection, there's no signs of infection, we discharge you to the local area. And that means either a hotel or the transplant house. And you'll stay there for about six to eight weeks in the local Cleveland area. And then after that, we let you go home. The one unique part about our program here at the Cleveland Clinic is once you get on the list, you can stay at home. You don't have to move to Cleveland. You can live within a thousand miles of the Cleveland Clinic. And we actually fly you in for your transplant if we need to, if you're far away, at least four hours, five hours away. But if you're within four hours, we have you drive in for your transplant. After transplant, we don't require you to live in Cleveland for the rest of your life, although I know many of you will want to. But for about six to eight weeks after your transplant, you'll stay in the local area where we can take care of you and see you in clinic every week. Yeah, thank you for uh, clarifying that. How do I know, like as a patient, that I'm getting good lungs when you give me the uh, lung transplant? Is there a way these lungs are evaluated or vetted before we receive them? Yeah, this is something people have been concerned about over time as you hear stories in the news about people getting bad organs or an infection from an organ. This is something we're very concerned about at the Cleveland Clinic and really take very seriously. We have several stopgap measures in place to make sure lungs are absolutely healthy. And one philosophy that we've always worked by at this cl- at the Cleveland Clinic, and I will tell you in kind of informal terms, You know, I would never accept an organ or offer an organ to one of my recipients on the wait list that I wouldn't offer to my family member. And I do like my family. So you would know I would never offer you anything that I did not think was absolutely perfect for you and and was perfect for my family member. Remember, if you don't do well, my program doesn't do well, and I can't help other patients unless I continue to help patients and have good outcomes. So we will never select anything that would put you in danger or uh, ever select a lung that wasn't perfect. Thank you. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, COVID. You know, How has COVID impacted uh, those who already had a lung transplant? So people that have already had a lung transplant are immunosuppressed. That means their immune system is weakened by the drugs that we give them so they don't reject their organ. And subsequently, many of these patients could not mount a response when they got their vaccine, meaning they couldn't fight COVID. They didn't get the same amount of defenses that you or I would get as normal individuals. And these patients were left vulnerable. And what happened frequently, they were exposed to family members who didn't know they were carrying or they were asymptomatic carriers of the virus or younger family members who couldn't get the vaccine and maybe brought the virus home from school to their loved one. And so subsequently, we've had many transplant patients that have become COVID positive and tested positive for COVID. Some of them just had cold symptoms. But there was a small population of patients that had lung transplants that ended up being admitted to the ICU because they couldn't breathe, their lungs started to fail, and they subsequently were on either a a ventilator or on a machine called ECMO and ended up passing away or dying. Yeah, so that's, uh, again, emphasizes the importance of uh, what we call herd immunity. It's like these vulnerable among us and lung transplant and anybody with cancer or other immune compromise, you know, their immune system is not functioning well. They are at risk even when they are protecting themselves, they're still at risk from those who are not protected. So thank you for um, clarifying that. So what about 
you know, transplant for those who had COVID. You know, COVID affect the lungs and people end up in the ICU with uh, significant lung disease on a ventilator. Is lung transplant a good option for them? For a very select few individuals, meaning patients that are fitting within a certain number of criteria, is transplantation an option for COVID-related lung disease? And when I say selected patients, these patients generally are younger. These are patients that have no other organ systems or no other organs that are failing, only their lungs. These are patients that are awake so they can participate in the discussion about transplant. These are patients that have good nutrition, that have adequate resources or adequate muscle mass so that they can make it through the transplant surgery. And it's very important to know if these patients still have COVID. Transplantation is not really a therapeutic option or an option for patients that have acute COVID. That means they've just gotten infected, just got sick and went to an ICU. It's only reserved for patients that have been in an ICU or sick enough for a period of time that they have shown no recovery of their lungs. And in our case at the Cleveland Clinic where we've transplanted seven patients that have had either COVID fibrosis or ARDS, these patients have been in the hospital for many, many months. And even after they came to the Cleveland Clinic, they came from outside hospitals, they were in our hospital for at least two to three months before they got on the waiting list and we were able to transplant them. So it's a very long process, but it's one to ensure that they have no lung recovery and that transplant is the only option for them. Yeah, that's an important point. And I actually reminded you of something else related. Is as, as you know, I'm an ICU physician and sometimes the families approach me when somebody is very sick in the ICU, especially with their lungs on a ventilator, and they say, could we just give them a lung transplant, and they think it's like it's an easy, you know, emergency t uh, procedure. That's not the case, is it? No, very rarely is transplantation a salvage therapy. It's not something that can be rushed. You see it on TV, people race in with new organs, someone saved at the last minute, but that's fictional. The reality is that transplantation does take a while to find organs, but more importantly, it takes a while to get a patient on a list because we have to test for certain things to ensure that the transplant will be a success and not a failure. Wonderful. This has been very informative, uh, Maria. I really appreciate uh, you sharing uh, your knowledge with uh, our listeners. Anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? I think you've brought up some great questions. I'd just like to add, ask questions for all of you. Reach out, call us. We'll be more than happy to answer this. And don't be afraid. There's a lot of information out there that may be false on the internet, but there's also some great information. And we'll be happy to direct you to the appropriate websites. But ask questions. Ask them early. Don't be afraid. Thank you, Marie. That's great advice. Uh, and thank you uh, to our listeners for joining uh, this episode of Respiratory Inspirations. Again, I'm your host, Rai Dwayk, chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, and my guest today was Dr. Marie Boudev, who is the director of the Lung Transplant Program at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you, Dr. Boudev. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Inspirations. For more stories and information from the Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, you can follow us on Twitter at Cleveland Clinic Lungs or follow me at Rai Dwayk, MD. Thank you. <music>